You know, we, we just got done singing about God being our portion. He's enough. He's our reward. Like, it's all you, God, and you're enough for me. I want you to keep that in mind um, when we, what we're about to talk about, okay? This morning, uh, we're, again, taking a break from the book of Acts. We're walking through the book of Acts from beginning to end. But just like last week, which was Labor Day, a lot of you guys weren't here that day, um, but today we're going to look at the second part of sort of just a two-week series on giving. Uh, and I know that's just as exciting as baptism, right? That's just, oh, great. I'm glad I'm a guest today. I know. Um, with that in mind, there's a few, and usually, look, we, expository preaching is my preferred method, which means going verse by verse, book through book through the Bible. And we've been doing that in the book of Acts uh, for, a, for a little while, but uh, in taking a break, this is a, this is a topical sermon, but it's one that I really believe that God placed on my heart for, for this time. And so because of that, I'm going to go ahead and put the, the passages on the screen behind me that we're going to be looking at, so you can go ahead and be turning there. <clears throat> There's a few passages, and, and don't confuse Chronicles with Corinthians. We see uh, each of those up there, okay? And you can go ahead and kind of maybe put a finger there or your worship guide there as we go. And, and you know, I said just a moment ago, kind of jokingly, oh, great, I'm, I'm a guest today. I picked a good day. I, I said this last week, but I'll reiterate it again this week, is that I know that it's frustrating. Like, you come and you're like, man, lay it on me, preacher. Like, give me a word. And then you hear that the pastor's talking about giving, and you're like, of course he is. Um, but look, as much as a turnoff as that may sound like it is, I want to maybe rephrase and, and uh, reorient your thinking just a little bit. Um, giving is, is a very intimate conversation. Uh, it's a family conversation. And so if you're a guest of ours today, you're going to maybe feel like you're in a family's living room having a family meeting. And if you're not part of that family, one of two things could happen. You may feel really awkward and think like, I kind of don't think I'm supposed to be here today. And that may happen. But look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just encourage you to shift your mindset just a little bit in this way. This is going to be a very healthy meeting for us. And so if you're in a part of a healthy, loving family meeting, there may be a tendency to feel maybe uncomfortable, but also my hope and my prayer for you this morning, because knowing that there were going to be a lot of people here that were not fellowship people, my hope is that you would hear this, and honestly, you'd think, I want to be a part of a family like that. I love that this family functions in this way. And so as, you, as we enter this dialogue, this conversation, I want you to keep that in mind. Now, you may be wondering, well, why are we talking about this today? What, what's, what's the need for this little mini-series, two parts? Well, this is a very unique season in the life of our church family. It's a church season full of new faces, and that's part of why I wanted to talk about this this morning. There are a lot of new faces here, and with new faces, and, and by my account, it's really about half and half. Some of you guys that are new to fellowship were raised in the church and sort of know Christianese, you know the language, and you know the scriptures some, and you are coming by letter from some other body of believers, or you feel, you see something's happening here, so you come and you say, I want to be part of this church, and I feel kind of like God is peacefully removing me from my situation, but you were raised in a church environment, but that's only about half of you guys. The other half are people that are unchurched, weren't raised in church, and really don't unknow these things. They don't, they don't know, and that's, that's absolutely fine. That's part of my job, is to not only educate, but inform. And part of one of the things that we don't talk about a lot in the church, at least in this church, is the discipline of giving. But here's the thing, it's a discipline. And so if you are a new face and you, you, don't, you weren't raised with, with this information, I want to honestly just come and say it's, it's okay that there's some ignorance there, but also I don't want you to be able to leave without having a good understanding of what the Bible teaches about giving because the Bible talks about this subject a lot. But this isn't just because there are new faces here. This is also because those of us that maybe have been in church for some time that know the discipline of giving have maybe become complacent, become lazy, and have not disciplined ourselves to approach the discipline of giving. And so my goal today is in one part to educate and inform and encourage, but also in the other part to challenge or correct and also encourage. The thing is we are at a crucial juncture concerning the bright and exciting future. I mean, you saw this morning, that's part of what's happening here is that God is just knocking over dominoes of really exciting things that's happening in the life of our church. And so approaching the subject can be a little bit taboo. You think, well, isn't giving something that greedy, health, wealth, and prosperity preachers talk about? No. Uh, Jesus talked about it a lot. And Jesus wasn't a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. 
in all things. I firmly believe in letting God speak for himself. And so while we may not be going verse by verse, book by book through this subject matter, we want God's word to speak for itself. This is not the opportunity for a preacher to get up and start jumping on a soapbox. So we need to consult his word on the subject, which may cause you to think, well, I don't see it a lot in God's word. Tell me where it says these things. Well, I'm quoting someone who's done a lot more research on this subject than I have that say, there are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer, around 500 verses in the Bible on faith. There are over 2,000 on money and possessions. This is a subject that the Bible is very clear about and adamant about. In fact, Jesus was adamant about it. Over 40% of his parables pertain to money and possessions. Jesus saw it, in fact, as a big enough deal to consider it the other master when he said in Matthew 6, 24, that you cannot serve both God and what? Money. This is a big deal to God. And giving is a big deal, a big discipline for us to really have a good understanding of. And so, man, will you just please do me a favor and lend me your ear. Lend God your ear for just a little bit as we talk about maybe a hard subject, but again, you're hearing it for a reason or else you would not be here. So I want to leave you with two things, or three things rather, this morning as we talk about the subject of giving. And number one, and that is that giving is instructed by God. We've got to be biblical above all things. I want to start with simply saying that giving is instructed by God, meaning it's not instructed by a preacher. It's not instructed by the greedy, you know, church institution. It's instructed by God. If you weren't here last week, we've talked about the fact that possessions are from God and possessions are for God. That really, we don't own anything. We, we don't own anything. It all belongs to God. Everything under the sun is his. In fact, everything beyond the sun is his. And by the way, if you weren't here to hear that sermon last week, and this is your church family, this is me formally asking you to go and listen to it. It's very, very, very important that you go and listen to that sermon, okay? Uh, you can find it on Spotify. You search for our church on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. You can find it there, or you can just go to the Facebook page and you'll find it on there. If you have any problems with that, you let me know, but I really, really am encouraging you to go and listen to that message. And I don't usually say that, but that one is important. Usually I just feel like they were just kind of not very good. But that one I really felt like you needed to hear. So um, probably should say that every week, shouldn't I? Uh, One of the things we talked about last week is stewardship and servanthood, that we are stewards and servants, meaning that what we have is not really ours. We are instead managers. We're managing what God has given us for God's glory. We're not owners of our money. We are managers, stewards of it, entrusted with something that is God's. It's in our care. And so we just took away that you have what you have from God for a reason. And one of the applicational questions that we took from that is, how do you think God would have you use his money in your care? But today, I want to pivot from that and see that really this has a lot of relevancy in specifically the local church. Where does the local church fit into the spectrum of how we are called to give. Every once in a while, I'll have a conversation about this subject with someone, or maybe I'll read a post about it online that says something like this. I'm a giving person, and I give to people out and about in my life. I'm a giving person. I'm generous, but I don't really see the need to give to an institution like the local church. Now listen, that may sound sort of trendy, like a trendy perspective or kind of attractive, But we should be very careful of adopting our giving philosophy from anywhere except for the Bible. We should be very careful, not just our giving philosophy, but any philosophy. We should be careful about adopting that from anywhere but God's Word. I'll simply say it this way. Giving to the church and to the collective ministry of the gospel is commanded by God in Scripture. It is commanded by God in Scripture, and I could not be any clearer about that. And look, there are many passages that I can now go to to talk about this, but I've decided to go to some very clear examples of that this morning. The first one is what I told you to turn to just a moment ago, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. You'll see it on the screen behind me, but I really encourage you to have it in front of you because I want you to see that it's not just a PowerPoint slide that we put together. It's God's Word, okay? So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing, by the way, to the church at Corinth. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, for the Christians that are doing ministry, the collection for the saints, he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, as in Galatians, so you also are to do. I directed them, I'm directing you. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, that's their Sunday church gathering, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may 
prosper, meaning it's a free decision. As, as one decides in his heart, that's what he should set aside, so that there will be no collecting when I come. <clears throat> what I want you to see there is that consistent giving to the church for the ministry of the gospel is a directive of God to Christians. Notice that this is said to the church at Corinth. He mentions Galatia. He also, in 2 Corinthians, mentions Macedonia. In Philippians, he talks about the Philippian believers giving to the purpose of, of the gospel as well. So that's just for off the top of my head, that God is specifically in directing the churches, the New Testament churches, to give to the mission. And that's just in Paul's writings. That's not even in his actual relationship interpersonally with these churches. I say that to say that the mission of the church is financially supported by the giving of the church. The mission is supported by the giving. And you think, well, but isn't it the power of God? Yeah, it's the power of God, but the power of God commands us to give. It's by God's power, but he calls us to be good stewards of our money. And listen, if that's true of Galatia and Corinth and Macedonia and Philippi, which is a pretty good batting average, then I'm going to suggest to you that it's true of fellowship. The mission of the church is supported by the giving of the church. Could go so many places to tell, tell you very clearly, giving is instructed by God. Number two, just going kind of quickly here. Giving is, giving is exemplified by God. Giving is exemplified <clears throat> by God. That's the second main thing up there. Giving is exemplified by God, meaning that God is the example for it. God gives us a great example. He says, look to me. I'll show you what it looks like to give. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that God loved the church and gave himself for her. He loves the church, and so he gave himself for her. The reason that we are to give to the church is because God gave to the church and cares for her. So the question is, in what ways are we to give? In what ways do we give? Well, when you're talking about giving to the church, the inevitable question that comes up is, how much? And maybe that's why you're here today. You're like, okay, I've been kind of wondering about this. Pastor, how much am I supposed to give? I don't know. I don't know, but that's a good thing to hear, right? We'll go and get that out of the way up front, and you're like, what are you going to say for the next 30 minutes then? Well, I guess we'll figure that out together, right? How much? Well, listen, your mind may immediately go to the word tithing, and so I want to talk about that for a second. <clears throat> the word tithe, you may not know this, it literally means tenth. That's kind of what it sounds like. The word tithe, it literally means tenth, which means uh, 10%. But the Old Testament Israelites were actually commanded to give three tithes, so three ten percents. Do the math. I know it's hard, but you'll get there. So look, here's, what, here's why they were instructed to give tithes. They were to give 10% to fund celebrations and feasts such as the Passover. Again, this is the Old Testament people of God. 10% to fund celebrations and feasts such as the Passover. 10% to support the Levitical people who were the ones that were vocationally to serve the temple, their worship place. Uh, and then 10% every three years to build, to, uh, to build a fund to help the poor, the impoverished in their region. So the total then is 10%, 10%, and then 10% every three years. It's about 23% annually that they were called to give. Tithe? Yeah, sort of. But they were called to give 23% of what they had to God. Now, here's the thing. Israel, I'm, not, I'm trying not to bore you, but this is very important. Israel was a theocracy, meaning that God determined their government, their property, their law, their justice system, and their taxes. And the, what I'm telling you about their tithes, those were their taxes. That was their national way of God saying, give so that we can self-sustain this nation. This is God's way of saying, give your tax, your tithes, in order to meet the needs of the people around you and to worship God. The giving was, in, a, in other words, a legal requirement in Israel's theocracy. These were national taxes. Now, look, in addition to their law-abiding required giving, their tithes, God instructed the Israelites to give free will offerings. And you may have heard that term before, free will offerings. Deuteronomy 16.10 is an example of this. He says, Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering, that's exactly what it sounds like, from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Okay. Now, we're not talking about percentages. We're talking about sort of this open-ended situation because everybody's different, right? They were to give an offering in proportion to the blessings that God had given them. Now, here's, what, here's the kind of catch-all here. Old Testament free will offerings 
The Old Testament free will offering is most similar to the New Testament giving of the church. In other words, the New Testament doesn't reinforce a tithe in the local church. And the reason why is because we're not a theocracy. We don't live in a nation that's, that's governed and, and lawed and justice all by God. And, you know, ideally, yeah, that would be the case. And one day, God will be, we will once again be a, a, a heavenly theocracy, right? But right now, we don't live in a theocracy like Israel. So the New Testament doesn't reinforce a tithe in the local church because the church, local church is not a theocracy. In other words, when we pass the offering plate, we're not taking a tax. We're not taking a tax from the people that are here. However, our gifts are more akin to an instructed free will offering. And that part that I read just a moment ago that's still on the screen, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. That is something that as New Testament church, we should really latch onto. Now look, before you go thinking that that decreases our financial responsibility, let's see what the Bible tells us about this, okay? How would the Lord have us give? And that's why I use that word exemplified. Giving is exemplified by God. What I mean by that is the giving is to be done. If you're writing notes, I want you to write down these four words. Giving is to be done consistently, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. I'm going to say those words again, and I should have put a slide together. Just in your mind, pretend that I did. Okay, that's, just pretend that I'm on top of things. Um, again, consistently, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. I'm going to say it one more time, and you're going to hear them a few times this morning. Consistently, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. Now, the reason I want you to write those down and see them is because of what I'm about to say next. This is how he gives. God has given to us. Does God give to you consistently? You better believe he does. Has God given to you sacrificially? He did not withhold his own son in giving to you. Has God given to you generously? More than we deserve. Amen? Does God give to you joyfully? It pleased him to crush his own son for you. Mind-blowing consistently, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. Why are we called to give that way? Because God did, and God does. I want to hit one at a time, consistently. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says this, and you may be right there next to it, because we just talked about it. On the first day of every week, notice the consistency there. On the first day of every week, that means their Sunday gathering, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. It's a free decision there so that there will be no collecting when I come. The reason I reread that verse is to show you that Paul is very clearly telling the church, give consistently. So it's a one-off thing, give consistently. The second thing is sacrificially. <clears throat> this is when Paul in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, if you want to flip over to it, you can quickly. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3, I'll read it in just a second. Paul is referring to the church in Macedonia, and they were in a tough situation. And this is what he says about the church in Macedonia. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 8, 3 says, For they, that's the Macedonian church, they, think sacrificially here, they gave according to their means, but listen, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Don't miss of their own accord. Paul didn't go in there and, you know, say, we've got to pass the plate again, y'all, this ain't enough. That's what he said. You guys ever been in a church situation like that? You're never going to have to worry about that here, I promise you. I'm not going to do that. That defeats the whole purpose of cheerful giving, which we'll talk about in just a second. But <clears throat> he is saying to these, about these guys, as the Macedonian church, they gave according to their means, but then it says beyond their means. You know what the word for that is? Sacrifice. It's sacrificial. It's not a Sunday morning stick-up, as I've heard an old pastor say one time. So, come on, give me more, you know. It's not a Sunday morning stick-up. Paul is saying they gave of their own accord sacrificially. So they gave. That's how we're directed to give. Third is generously. They gave generously. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Maybe just a page over for you from chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, The point is this. He's still on this giving conversation. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows, don't miss this word, bountifully, will also reap bountifully. You know what the word bountifully means? It means generously. It means generously. The giving is not just supposed to be, well, it's just enough to, to kind of meet the whatever. He's saying that they're giving bountifully. They're giving above and beyond, sacrificially, generously, consistently, and then fourth, they're giving joyfully, cheerfully. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, then says, each one must give 
as he has decided in his heart. You heard that right? As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, joyful giver. We're to give with a heart of joy, a heart of trust, not a heart of compulsion or regret. I heard one pastor say, give happy checks, not sad checks. Look, my point is this. In saying those four words, if God or if Paul, and God's speaking through Paul, if Paul wanted to reinforce a tithe in the New Testament, especially with his traveling to churches and collecting of resources, and if it was that important, I think that he would have been very specific to these churches of his expectations. But he did not have a number in mind. He had a heart in mind. He didn't have a number. He had a heart A bigger principle is what he had in mind. And the principle is this. Do not be governed by percentages, but by sacrificial generosity that overflows generously and joyfully. Do not be governed by percentages, but be governed by sacrificial generosity that overflows generously and joyfully. Here's what I mean by that. The absence of a percentage should not justify half-hearted giving. The absence of a percentage should not justify half-hearted giving. Consider, for example, yesterday was football, and I don't want to talk about it because my team lost. So just can it. Look, consider football for an example. you got two kinds of football coaches. Maybe uh, you had one of these types of coaches. A coach comes to his, say it's a high school team, and the high school coach comes to his his kids, and he says, we're going to meet up at 5 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for mandatory three-mile runs. And he lays down, that's the rule. We're going to meet up three times a week. We're going to do three-mile runs at 5 a.m. But then there's another football coach that says, he doesn't lay out rules. He doesn't put down some big thing. Instead, he just comes to his team and he says, I want you guys to love this sport and this team with everything in you. The question then is, which of those two coaches has set a higher standard? Think about it for a second. Which of those two coaches has set a higher standard? The rules of the first or the no rules of the second? The answer is the second coach. Because the second coach demands not just a rule, he demands the whole heart. He says, give me all of you. Give me your entire heart. Whatever that looks like, that's what I want you to do. Again, the absence of rules or a percentage does not justify half-hearted allegiance to the team, in other words. And the problem is that we've become so accustomed to our Western prosperity way of life, and you do have a prosperity way of life. Just look at you guys. You look great. But we've become so accustomed to our Western prosperity way of life that many of us have used a traditional percentage to avoid the higher standard that Jesus has actually called us to. Consistent, sacrificial, generous, joyful giving. That is more than 10%. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, if you've turned off your brain so far because you give 10% out of every paycheck, I want you to tune back in for just a second. Listen, John Piper, who's a guy that I've learned a lot from, he's not Jesus Christ. But John Piper has a quote that I want to read that I think is it's at least stunning and it might be convicting. He said, a middle-class American who is only tithing is probably robbing God. Because for most of you in this room, to be honest with you, 10% ain't really sacrificial. I know that because if I came to your house, I'd see that many of you live pretty solidly. We haven't really sacrificed that much, even when we give 10%. I realize that that may not be a popular thing to say, but at the same time, Look, if you have enough money to eat out every weekend and splurge on entertainment, but you don't have enough money to give, then you do not have enough money to eat out every weekend and splurge on entertainment. One of those things is greater than the other thing. But our Western prosperity way of life says I'm entitled to these things. And giving just kind of goes to the wayside. Again, that's Jesus, Jesus didn't say the middle class thing. Piper did, but I think it's at least something that could cause us to think. Look, The question then is, is giving hard? Well, that's a hard question to answer because giving may be a challenge 
but it is not a hardship. Giving is not a hardship. The reason I say that is that God's commands are good for you. God's commands are not a hardship. God's commands are difficult, perhaps, challenging, perhaps, but they are good for you. They're meant to bring you joy, not discouragement, including the command to give. That's why I mentioned last week it's so important. That verse is so important that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Emphasis on the word blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's actually worse for you. It's a greater hardship to withhold than it is to give. The real hardship is withholding than it is giving. It's easy to be joyful when we're singing praise songs to God. Man, we just sang that song, My Portion. It's easy to be joyful when we talk about, God, when I got nothing else, I got you. But we should keep up that same energy when it comes to our giving. So maybe you're thinking, all right, Pastor, then tell me what it is. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what it really looks like. I don't want to have to think about it. Just tell me what, it, what I should do. Well, look, man, I can't. Everyone's finances are just different. For some, beginning at a tithe may be too lofty of a goal. You say, look, giving 10% is, is beyond sacrificial for us. We got to just start small. And you know what? Maybe you do need to start small. For some of you, it may mean that that's too lofty of a goal. But you could start how you can as long as it is consistent, generous, sacrificial, and joyful. And that's what you need to do. For others of you, you may not be at peace with only a tithe, only a tenth, because God has blessed your means. To be generous may mean more for you. The Spirit may be stirring in that way. In other words, if you make 400, I'm just throwing a number out there, you make $400,000 and you are giving 40,000, you're living on $360,000? Do you see how the 10% thing just doesn't really meet sacrifice in our culture? I'm just using an example. At the end of the day, you got to listen to God, man. Listen to the Spirit. Don't listen to me. And for you, it maybe mean that, look, you've been giving at the same place for a long time, and it's time to step out on faith and challenge your giving. There's a lot of different people in this room, and I can't speak into your situation and say that I understand it. But your takeaway from that may mean, look, man, I don't know about that. That puts us in a place that I can't predict. That's the point. That's, that's the whole point to put you in a place that you can't predict. It's to go out on faith and trust that God is who he says he is and does what he says he does. Do you trust him? Do you trust him when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always meet your needs. If I care for birds, I promise I care for people made in my image. Just quoting Jesus there. Do you trust him? Maybe it's time to go out on faith. If you're married... I think this would be a good opportunity to sit down with your spouse sometime and ask yourselves, are we giving generously as God would have us to? Husbands, this is a great way to lead your home. It's a great way to disciple your children and instill in them a generous spirit. Let them put the money in the plate. Let them, let them click submit on the giving thing online. Teach them with it. Whatever that means, it's good to instill in them. Hey, hey kids, I want you to understand that this is important and we give to the local church because God has instructed us to. You can disciple your kids through that so that they don't have to figure it out later on. If you're a student, you may think, I don't even know why I'm here today. I'm like totally broke. Maybe that's you. And you're like, like I have a part-time job, and it's like just so that I can drive. <laughs> and if that's you, look, I want you to understand something. You need to create habits now, even with a little bit. Create habits, godly habits now, even with a little bit. It's not me. It's Jesus. Luke 16, 10 says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. It's, in other words, it is very hard to begin later on. My dad gave us a principle when I was a little guy, and that was we had like an allowance, like 20 bucks, I think, a month. And he would say, get out your envelopes. We had these envelopes, and they broke it down so that we could do this. Is that He had a 10% envelope, a 10% envelope, and then an 80% envelope. I think he got this from maybe Dave Ramsey or something. I don't know. But, and they had big letters written on them. Uh, spend give and save. And so if he gave us $20 per month, then I took two of those dollars and I put them in my give envelope, two of those dollars and put it in my save envelope, and the rest of it I could take and put it in the spending account. 16 bucks for the whole month, man, and I made it go a long way. And I was pretty good at saving, but also my dad taught me at a very young age the value of taking that give envelope to church that very next Sunday and giving it right off the top. Students, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe not with envelopes. Because you're like, people still use envelopes? I want you to begin the discipline now, to prioritize it, because it's difficult to begin it later on. you got a lot of adults around you right now that are thinking, this one's going to hurt. I don't know how we're going to do this. 
You begin that practice now so that you don't have to worry about it, developing it later. And look, as far as ways to give at Fellowship, we, we pass an offering plate. We also have offering kiosks as you go out, but also we do online giving. We even have an auto draft option so that it, it can be tr- truly the first fruits of your, your receiving what you and your income. We want to do whatever we can to make it easy for you, but also I don't want to not make it worshipful for you because that's the whole goal. That's all purpose is to say, God, I'm giving this to you. And when you look at that minus this amount every month, I want you to think, God, I worship you. God, I depend on you. I see that money come out, and I don't miss it because I trust you. Guys, God does not call us to a character standard that he has not himself perfectly already exemplified. You would not have the gospel if God did not give. God so loved the world that he gave. We don't have baptism if we don't serve a giving God. You don't have hope in this life for the next if not for a giving God. Jesus impoverished himself, literally sacrificed himself to make you rich. And I'm not talking about what's green. I'm talking about your soul is rich because Jesus gave sacrificially. He gave once for all. He gave generously. And crazy enough, he gave joyously. And the blessing is in giving, not in receiving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The third and final thing is that giving is blessed by God. Giving is blessed by God. It's blessed by God. As we give consistently, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully, God promises blessing. And listen, I'm not up here preaching the prosperity gospel of God filling your bank account if you write a check to the church every month. But I do want you to hear a few passages of Scripture that I have not altered. I'm telling you exactly as they are read. And first one is in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says this, <clears throat> Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That means right off the top. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. <clears throat> Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Think about that. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. I'll reread 2 Corinthians 9, 6 we looked at earlier. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap, receive bountifully. Luke 6, 38 is Jesus teaching. I love this. He says, give, and it will be given to you. (laughs) Check this out. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What Jesus is saying there is kind of like, if you give to God very generously, then he's not going to give back to you like a Lay's bag of chips. You know what I'm talking about, where it's like 70% air? Right? That would be part of my Christian stand-up routine if I had one. It's like, what's up with all the air in those chips? What Jesus is saying, seriously, is that God doesn't give that way. You give generously. You give sacrificially. You give joyfully. It's padded down. It's pressed down. As much as you can fit in that space is what he's saying. The principle is that God will bring substantial increase to the giving heart. And again, well, we'll get there in a second. Malachi 3.10. One more verse that I want to read. Malachi 3.10. Again, speaking to the Old Testament Israel, a theocracy. So he's going to use the word tithe. But this is Old Testament talking about the theocracy. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He's talking about the temple. That there may be food in my house to provide in this house, the temple. And thereby put me, listen to this now. He says, you give, give your tithe. And thereby put me to the test. What? Put me to the test, he says. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know what that means? We can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. He literally told Israel, try me. Just try me. You just dump it out and see what happens. Just try me. But at the same time, God promises to meet our needs, all of our needs, but I read someone say, not all of our greeds. I mean, all of our needs, but not all of our greeds. 
And look, could God bless your giving by giving more money to you? Could you give 500 and him give you 5,000? Absolutely he can, and he has. In fact, I could sit here and say, anybody want to give testimony? And I bet you we'd have half a dozen people come up here and say, I gave this month, I bet you'd be more than that. I gave this much money, and God sat here and gave me way more. I never even missed it because he multiplied it. I, get, I know for a fact we would have at least 10 people come up here and do that if they were bold enough to tell about it. We would. But listen, that's not a, an if-then. That's not a cause and effect. I don't want you to think that if you give to the church, then you're going to be rich, monetarily speaking. That may or may not happen. But you should never expect that. Could God give you, give you a blessing in that way? Sure he can. He has. But with our giving, listen, our primary aim is not the blessing of earthly material prosperity. Where do we store up treasure? Not on earth. We store up treasure in heaven. God will reward and bless us somehow. Sure, absolutely, he promised it. But there are greater riches than the U.S. dollar. And the whole universe is at our God's disposal. I think we should trust him. We should trust him. We should make a concerted effort to exercise joyous giving this week, next week, and forevermore. And just see, just, just, just try me. Okay? Try him. See if your soul feels richer or poorer after you give. Just see. Just see. Will I feel richer or poorer after I've given? You go try. The reason for this emphasis uh, these last two weeks, and I'm really going to, I'm going to put on, listen, I'm not just preaching today and ever. I'm pastoring whenever I'm here. And so this conversation is now going to bleed into not just preaching the word, but now I'm going to really be pastoring for the next few minutes, okay? We're talking about this today. And this is that family talk, by the way, where as a guest you're like, this is, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> the reason we're talking about this is because the needs at fellowship are many, but the resources are few. The needs are many, but the resources are few. And by the way, the trend is not favorable, at least this year. Maybe the last couple of months it is. We'll talk about that in a second. But the trend is uh, our attendance, and what's happening among us is like, and as it's increased, a bunch of people, a lot of needs, those needs increase and increase and increase, and it's great. But it's a problem if the resources do this. The resources are flat and the needs, that's just not a recipe for success. If you're a businessman, you know that pretty well, right? Or businesswoman, I should say. Guys, the thing is, our ministry has grown. Our resources to minister have not. Year over year, we're seeing growth in worship. We're seeing growth in Sunday school. We're seeing growth in our children's ministry. We're seeing growth in the youth student space, the youth group. We're seeing a growth in demand then for resources. There, there's a demand for the minister's time, and there's not a lot of it. We see a growth in um, the need for counseling, and there's not a lot of time for it. It doesn't take away the joy of it. Man, I, I love ministering to our people through counseling, but there's a need. That, you see what I'm saying, right? That it's increasing and increasing and increasing. There's a need for increased supplies, there's an increased need for food. We have biscuits every Sunday morning, and that's great. Food on Wednesday night's wonderful. But there's an increasing need for that. In fact, when we, when we were doing the meal after COVID, we're like, this is great, man. We got 75 people here. What do we have? Oh, Kevin, what do we have on Wednesday? 162? 160? We've had more people that day than McDonald's did. <laughs> Not really. But that's a lot. That's a great, that's almost triple. That's a lot of people, y'all. We're feeding a lot of people, and that's just saying there's needs that are multiplying. And look, we have benevolence needs. Like We want to minister to the people in our church, in our community. When there are needs, we want to meet those needs with the gifts that you have given. But as the benevolence needs have increased and increased and increased, and the resources are doing this, do you see the problem there? And maybe the most obvious is the need for space. This room is filling up and filling up and filling up, and I'm sitting here saying scoot to the walls, and you're thinking, I don't want to be that close to my neighbor right? <laughs> I'll take that to say, yes, you're right about that. But look, we, we're not seeing the additional resources. It's, it's simply supply and demand. The demand is increasing. The supply is staying relatively fixed. Now, 
I mentioned that last week. I mentioned it this week. I want to show you this. Put the first slide up there that's got the, uh, I know you didn't come here for an accounting lesson or anything like that, and I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, can you see that okay? Maybe. Well, there's a bigger table in a second. But I want you to see that what this is, is it's, it's four quarters of averages. It's a quarter one is top left, quarter two is top right, quarter three. Again, that's January to March, April. To, you know, so these are the quarters of our, of our uh, numbers. And this is the last three years, 2021, 22, and 23. I wanted to put this together simply so that you see what's in my mind when I'm saying these things. Especially quarter one was especially concerning. Because what you see in quarter one is our average weekly attendance, which is the third column on the right, went from 150 to 155 year over year, and then to 212 over a year span. That's average weekly attendance. But the giving went down 4,000 and then down 3,000. That's not exactly the trend that you want to see, right? And that's the worst of the quarters. But look at quarter two. You see, again, an increase in giving 21 to 22, but then nothing between 22 and 23, despite the attendance, again, increasing pretty rapidly. Quarter three, and the reason there's an asterisk there next to, is because we're in the middle of quarter three, and the reason there's no data on quarter four is because we're, we haven't met there yet in 2023. But I want you to see that quarter three is a good, is a good quarter. Like, that's the trend that we are wanting to see. But quarter four, we don't, I know that we don't have the data yet. But I'll, look at the attendance numbers, man. Like we are, the quarter three attendance is crazy. That's crazy. And quarter four, we'll see. By the way, you see that the big $55,000 average. Without getting too much of the details on it, that's because I'm aware that there was a very generous donation by one family, and it, it really threw off the curve, to be honest with you. It wasn't us. It was someone that was very charitable in a donation. And I, that's, I, that's nobody's business. I just wanted to. And by the way, I meant to write this down. I don't know what any of you guys give. I should have laced that, this whole conversation of that. I don't know what any of you give. Not at all. Unless you tell me, I don't know. I, the reason I'm like that is because my dad, who's a pastor, he told me, Caleb, if you don't know what they give, then they can't accuse you for treating them differently because they don't or do. Like, that's a pretty good rule. Hey, you don't treat us right because that person gives more money than we do. I'm like, I don't know that. Okay. I don't know what anybody in this room gives. Or if you do or do not give, I know that you should. Whether you're part of this local congregation or somewhere else, you should give. Go to the second slide. This is what I want. This is maybe makes it a little clearer. Attendance is on the left. Giving is on the right. Monthly giving, weekly attendance. Look between 2022 and 2023, which are the first two columns. I want you to see in attendance the percentage growth. It's, I don't know, I'm just off the top of my head. It's like 30% growth. If we have the same percentage growth between this year and next year, then you see the projected attendance in the third column, averaging 270, which by the way, in August we had 262 one Sunday. Um, today we probably topped that. Anybody know? Do we say again? 250. Okay. So projected to be increasing is what I want you to see. Projection each quarter increasing. But the monthly giving, again, I'm just showing you the data there. The percentage increase in attendance does not reflect attendance or a giving increase in percentage. Please go ahead and take that down. I don't want to bog you down, and I hate to obsess. I'm not trying to obsess over that. The only reason I'm putting that in your mind is that you see a correlation that is a little bit it's concerning. It's not a little bit concerning. It's very concerning. Because what that says to me is part of that, going back to what I said at the beginning, part of that is just new believers. It's people that are in church that don't know the discipline. And so I want to educate and inform you. But part of that is simply poor stewardship by many in this room. It's poor stewardship. That you've let it slide and fall by the wayside. And that discipline, which God is very clearly intentional about, has just sort of fallen off of your radar. And God is not going to bless that. He's not going to bless that. It does not honor him. It withholds. In fact, in that passage in, in Malachi that I read a moment ago, right before that, he talks about, even in the subheading, if you were to go to, to the, the passage in Malachi, your subheading probably says robbing God. Because God tells them, by withholding what is mine, you're robbing me. And some of you guys have been robbing him. And you need to know that. We've seen a lot of growth. I'm going to hit it for just a couple more minutes. Children's growth. The team that is serving our children, your children, your grandchildren, they have done so much with very little. They've done so much with, with not a lot. But we are beyond capacity to comfortably accommodate them. Can you throw up the first picture that I gave you from Awana this Wednesday? This is from Awana this past uh, Wednesday. And 
as you can see, there's a lot going on and not a lot of space. That's over in the children's building, the old sanctuary. A lot going on and not a lot of space. Just to make you feel a little better, Karen, go to the next image. It's a lot more organized. Don't they look like they got it all together? Good job, Karen. Great job. Uh, I want you to see that there's a whole lot going on in that little building every Wednesday night, and it's just going to continue to grow. It's just going to keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And look, just to be honest, when parents come and drop off their kid in an environment that just communicates to them, I hate to even say this, but like, this doesn't look like something they value. Are you with me on that? I'm not saying we got to have state-of-the-art everything, but that building has seen better days. And as someone with four kids, seven and under, I really want to feel very confident about where I'm dropping off my kids. And you walk in this space, and it's like, wow, this is very nice, and they clearly care. And then you go over there, and it's like, whoa. I don't know. You, you walk down to the nursery, and some of you guys do, and it's a long, narrow hallway, which is a lot brighter because of a couple of our guys that really threw in some LEDs and made it very bright, but it, it was very gloomy. And like, that's not, that's not a reflective of our church, is it? And if I'm, if I'm a guest, maybe you are, and you dropped your kids off down there, we, we care so much about your kids. Like, we care so much. The, the people back there that are loving on your children right now that are very mad at me because I'm gone so long, um, they love your kids. Like, even if this is the first time they've met them, they love them so much. And I want you to know that, like, the way that things may look, may communicate that we, we, that's not the most important thing to us, but we really, really love them. And I want you to feel secured in that. But also, it, it makes me feel a little bit weird because if it were me and I was dropping off my kids and I saw those, sort of a hodgepodge, we knocked out a wall just to increase our space for the nursery because it's, we're just patching everything and trying to make it all work. It's just kind of hard for me. It's hard for me to be okay with that. But I'm, I'm grateful. Like, I'm so grateful for God to, to give us what we have. But also, I'm, I'm discontentedly content, if that makes sense. Our desire is then to invest in our future. And that's why I want to talk about this today. I want us to be committed as a church, as a family, to invest in our future. We will soon need to increase our worship space. We will inevitably, before we're able to do that, be in two services. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that for long, by the way. But it's simply impossible for us to raise the money, knock out a wall, or build a different thing, or whatever the long-range planning community decides we're going to do with that, we're all going to vote together and figure that out. But it's, it's, not, it's not financially possible. I don't, well, I guess anything's possible. It's very unlikely that we will be able to address that need before the need is upon us. It's already upon us. We're, we're just in a bind. And investing in our future, by the way, there's an 80% rule when you reach 80% capacity, whether it be in the parking lot, which is 100% full, by the way. We're going to be parking some cars in the cemetery now. Um, the 80% rule is that you can, you can get by with like 90, 95% full on like Easter and some rare, rare Sundays. But if you are consistently over 80%, eventually people will just turn around and they'll go home or they'll go somewhere else. Well, that's not acceptable, man. I'm not okay with that. And so we're considering options, but I just want you to know that we can't do anything if we're not giving. We just can't. We want to invest not just in our worship space, but maybe we should have already done this, but invest in our children's space or our youth space. The youth re meet in a, in a long, narrow room, and if you've ever been up there, when it's full, it probably stinks like really bad. I'm just guessing because it's very full and it's not conducive to what they have. There were, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sam, 26? 28 students in there this past Wednesday, and it does not fit 28 people. That's just students. That's not including the leaders that were up there serving them and loving on them and dealing with the smell. Awana, as I said, had 76, 76 kids, seven absent that would normally be there. Okay, so put, do the math. That's about 83 is the ceiling there. Um, by the way, the student number, 28 students, is about a 400% increase over a two-year span. Got to invest in that future because they ain't going to be able to meet up there very long. So what do we do? We give consistently. We give sacrificially. We give generously. And praise God, we give joyfully. And I want you to do it with me. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not committed to do. 
I want us all to be committed to this together and to sit back and just see if God blesses his church. Let's just see. Got one more thing I want to say. First Chronicles 29, 14 is a passage you're going to see. Maybe you have it. It's an example of God's people that are given a lofty calling to give for God's purposes. I knew today was going to go long, and I promised myself I'd never apologize for that, but I just want you to know I acknowledge it. First Chronicles 29, verse 14. King David is the one that's casting vision for this giving thing they're doing. They're wanting to build a temple for God to honor him. David says, but who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. It's David's way of saying, it's weird to even consider these offerings free, as if we would even feel right of withholding them from you. What is yours? First Chronicles 29, 17 and 18 then says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. You test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered. By the way, it says choice, he's saying. I've choose, chosen to worship you in giving in all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Verse 18 then says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and our fathers, keep forever such purposes. He's talking about giving. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Guys, the soul-enriching joy that comes from giving is more of a treasure than anything your money can buy. Tim Keller said, your money flows effortlessly to that which is your God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in other words. And guys, it isn't about money. It's about who you belong to and who you serve. In other words, how can we say, a common phrase that we say, how can we say that we've surrendered our lives to Christ if we hesitate to surrender our wallets to him? It's a sacrifice. And if you feel like this has sort of been stepping on your toes thing, I want to just encourage you. Because this is a sacrifice. This is an exercise of faith. And we do trust God. And so when I'm going to read this, I want to say something. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God did that for us, if he gospeled us, if he did not spare his only son, but sent him to die on the cross that we may be reconciled to God, we could celebrate what we did in those waters, that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we live, but Christ who lives in us. We've been resurrected from death to new life. Praise be unto Jesus. If he has done that, is he not also able and willing to meet our lesser needs? If he gave the great priceless infinite gift of his son, can he not handle your lesser bills and monthly costs of living? You can't afford it. The question then is, are you going to be consistent, sacrificial, generous, and joyful? He was. He was. And he's called us to the same.